1: I'm so glad you're here with us today because we have Don. Don found his passion to clean America's waters in fifth grade on first Earth Day. While fishing with his dad, he had seen dead fish, yellow foam, and a smell from the pollution, and he knew he needed to act. He did and made impacts in many areas. That action led him to leadership roles where he loved helping individuals and teams be more than they thought they could be. Today he helps people find the career that energizes them and a life that fulfills them. And thank you so much for being here today, Don. It is such a pleasure to have you. And I would love for you to just dive into your journey, how you got here today, and then we could go a little bit deeper.
2: Okay. Well, Caroline, I really appreciate you uh, hosting today and allowing me to be a, a guest on your podcast. It's, uh, it's so good to see what you're doing. And uh, at some point, when I'm going to talk to you about the, the solar industry, <clears throat> being a being a civil environmental engineer, right? Yeah. So. I think my journey starts back in fifth grade. So what, you know, what I do today is I help people find the career that energizes them and the life that fulfills them. And it really goes back for me, like I said, to the fifth grade, the first Earth Day, April of 1970. I remember my dad loved fishing and we'd go out on rivers and lakes and streams and I could see the yellow foam and I could smell the putrid odor and you could see the fish that were dead on the top of the water. And I was like, wondering what's going on. My dad talked about it, so it connected on the first Earth Day of what are we doing to this planet? And I started to uh, to be very interested in environmental area. I found I was really good at math and science, so I was always a grade ahead a lot of times through middle school and high school. And uh, I went to the University of Wisconsin. uh, Hence my W today. Got to wear red. I was like, I thought that
1: looked
2: familiar. (laughs) Remember everyone deployed on Fridays. So, and to tomorrow's Armed Forces Day. So, um, so, I graduated from Wisconsin with a civil environmental engineer, engineer degree, but in 1982 and the recession in Reagan's first term, was not a lot of jobs. I had 454 letters on my graduation day in May of 1982 saying, thanks for the application, but we're not hiring right now. We'll keep it on file. So, I took the opportunity to join the Air Force, and uh, it was a great opportunity. It really brought me out of my shell, helped me develop, helped me learn about leadership. I got to do some really incredible things with environmental, and then uh, and lead some great teams. So that led me to in 2009 getting out of service and going to Booz Allen Hamilton and focusing back on that environmental and leadership interests. And what I found along that journey was I really cared about the people that I worked with. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Clifton Strengths. One of, the, one of my strengths is, is service, but it's also caring, my love language. So uh, I just, I found out as I got out of, this, got out of my Booz Allen job and I started a, a company on leadership training and coaching that I couldn't turn my back on the peers that I had worked with for 27 years in the military and nine years in corporate. And especially on the military side, the career transition out of the service for them, it's very frustrating. They've never had to apply for a job, never done an interview for most part. Don't understand the process of not getting a response when you send an application. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's a mindset piece of. We've been calling contractors bloodsucking contractors and Beltway bandits, and now I want to go be a part of them. That's that doesn't seem right. So there's a lot of things going on, and I I kind of put it back into. Um, being lost. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just thinking yesterday, I was in a speak-off competition yesterday and we we're talking about our signature story. We had to have a personal story that kind of equates to the, 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 what we're doing.
1: Mm-hmm. And I remember
2: being on a in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and I stepped out on an island and I was walking around. It was, a, it was a big island. I mean, I did seven miles walk that morning and I was back on the island that night. And as sunset passed, it was getting dark I couldn't get my way off the island. And it was really pretty easy because the path goes right up the side of the island. Mm -hmm. But every time I got up there, I kept getting turned around and kept going up to the top of this hill. And I could see where I was going, but I couldn't get there. Mm -hmm. And I was all soaked with sweat. I couldn't get the the swipe on my iPhone to work anymore to get to the map to figure out where I was. I was wondering if my battery was going to die. And I just was like, this is not going to work. I'm going to spend the night out here on this island. And it was about 10 o'clock and I finally just figured out a way and got out. But it's kind of, I think a lot of people in their career transition are kind of that way as well. They don't, they, they know where to go, but they don't know how to get there, right? The steps. So I want to be that guide to help people go through that process. And that's, that's kind of how I got here. <laughs> uh, but, it's, but it's that caring and that service inside of me that says I can't turn my back on these uh, folks that are transitioning. You know, 22 military are still committing suicide every day. And the number one ideation for suicide is career transition. Mm. That drives me.
1: Yeah. No, that That's a huge mission and why of what you're doing. And you know I just appreciate everything you shared. And thank you for your service as well. Thank you. And, you know, I'm just so curious because a lot of people do struggle with that career transition, especially Mm -hmm. what you help people with. I know I struggled going from clinical psychology to coaching to solar, and there's a lot of transitions, (laughs) but I'm curious with, because it's such a passion of hers. you, I feel you light up. I feel that energy i you talking about it, but what was that transition like for you when you did get out of the military and started looking for a job, like that career change?
2: Yeah, I... I kind of say I joke about this, but, it, but it's really true. I started transitioning 24 years before I got out. I, I got into the service in 1982 thinking it was for four years, no more, no way, no how. I wanted to get out and get a real job, you say, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I found that I just really loved the connection with the people, the mission, the challenges we got to work on. It was so fun. So I stayed for 27, but all the way along, I kept thinking at eight years, I'm going to get out. At 10 years, I'm going to get out. Twenty years, I'm going to get out, and I just kept staying, not because it was a comfort zone, but because I was getting promoted. I, I ended up retiring as a colonel, so that was pretty good. And uh, I got to I, my last job was in charge of readiness for the entire civil engineering career field—thirty-five thousand military and fifty thousand civilians. So, just deployments around the world. So, huge responsibility. Yeah. Um, but when I so when I I spent twenty-four years thinking though of what did I want to do. Mm -hmm. And it really kept coming back to me, back to the environmental piece Mm -hmm. and back to emergency response. But I remember one day I was walking through an exercise and I said, design your position description. What's your life look like? Mm -hmm. And I realized that I still had to lead people. I couldn't just be an individual contributor. I would not be happy as just an individual contributor. I had to lead people. Mm -hmm. So um, I I got out. I got a position with Booz Allen Hamilton. It was interesting because it was only one of a couple interviews I did, but everything just connected. Had a young lady at the Pentagon who was leading the team of Booz Allen. I went over and talked to her and she says, we've been waiting for you. But she had made a promise to the two-star general that she wouldn't talk to people on the staff and try to entice them to retire. So, but when I came to her, she said, that's okay. I, now I can talk to you. And she lined up some interviews for me and went great. And I stayed, I stayed there for nine years. You know, what is it? 45% of military leave their first post-military job within 12 months, almost half within the first year. I stayed in that job for nine years. And I kind of equated to, I spent that time thinking about what I wanted, what kind of position did I want? What kind of leadership do I want to work for? What kind of values in the company? And those are things that now I bring forward into my company as I work with people on career transition. What are those answers to those questions? And what do you really want to do? And most military don't know what they want to do. And I think a lot of times civilians don't as well. They, uh, they jump into a position for stability, for pay,
1: mm-hmm.
2: really for what they're really excited about. So I, I take them back to what is it that that experience that just lights you up? Mm-hmm. My mantra is um, fi- helping them find a job that energizes them and a life that fulfills them. Because I think when you're energized all day and you go home happy and energized, you're engaged with the family, you're engaged with your community, engaged with your church, you, you have a hobby, you love life. But if you if the if the day sucks the energy out of you, then you go home and all you want to do is sit on the couch and watch TV. Yeah. Oh, and
1: yeah. look at
2: all the problems it leads to, right?
1: Oh my goodness, yes. I, I'm definitely resonating with that message too, because I think a lot of individuals whether civilians or in the military, struggle with that, right. what energizes you. Because when you are mm-hmm. energized by something, you don't feel drained. You have more energy. You have more to give. Because my tagline is put yourself at the top of the priority list, because a lot of times you're not even on the priority list. and. Sorry. I I think part of that is when you are fulfilled and you feel like what you're doing matters and you're energized around it, it really takes a different toll of just showing up how you show up because you are more present for your family or the activities you want to do because it is aligned with you versus being misaligned. And I know because leadership is such a big part of who you are, what you've accomplished and what you do for your clients, I'm curious. What strategies or approaches do you use to help individuals and teams realize their full potential and achieve more than they thought they could?
2: Yeah, you know, it's, uh, I'm an executive director with the John Maxwell team, and I, I spent a lot of time, like I said, in the military and <clears throat> leadership positions. I got to command three, three civil engineer squadrons and a mission support group. So anywhere, I, I led teams from two to t- almost 22,000 people. I got to go to Baghdad and lead the reconstruction at a 400-person team. You know, programming the excuse me, <clears throat> programming the projects that we were going to construct, working with the ministries of the Iraqi ministries. And so it was all really about caring, understanding the people that you're working with. Perfect story. Um, had a young man named Jake. We were on a, a booz Allen project in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and we were going to get the opportunity to redo one of our submittals to the Department of Energy, right? redo it because we failed so so we got we had three weeks to, to redo it and we realized really quick that we needed Jake we needed his expertise but he had all these other things going on plus his wife just had twins and he had a little two-year-old at home and we said how are we going to make this work I'm sure we could have just said Jake take this on overload you sleep is irrelevant but no that's not the way I look at life so I went in and I sat down with him I said hey we're going to need your expertise, um, but I'm concerned about kind of where you're at and how this will will happen. We have other people who can take some of the things that you're doing to lighten the load, so that you can balance on your your personal life and this task. And you can kind of see it's like, no, no, I, I can do it all. But now he's a he was a commander in the navy, a lieutenant commander in the navy reserve, so that military mindset of I can do anything, right? Just just give it to me, I'll figure it out. And I said, no, 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 let's, let's figure this out because I want you to still be present with your wife and the, and the twins and those things. And he, he, you could tell he kind of went home a little bit ticked off. Mm-hmm. But his wife looked at him that night. He came back the next morning. He said, all he's trying to do is care for you as a person. He doesn't want you to create stress at home, to not get sleep, to not be productive at work. He wants to make you the whole person, so he actually came back and apologized the next day. Mm-hmm. But it, but I tried to approach it from a I can I care about you, yeah. I want you to be successful. How can I resource you? How can I help you with projects? And it actually uh, he ended up being my replacement when I left about a year later, mm-hmm. and uh, we got him two quick promotions, which just because he's, he's such a sharp individual. So to me, that was a, a clear lesson of. Mm-hmm caring about your people and being engaged.
1: Yeah. That's what it's about too. When we do care, it, they show up differently as well. And like going back to the energy aspect, how do you go about helping people feel energized about what they're doing and just everything that they're taking those steps to fulfill the career they're in or whatever it may be.
2: Yeah. It's again, it's getting to know them. What, what do they want to do? Right. So Mm -hmm. When a boss came to me and said, hey, I want you to spend all your time doing facility maintenance, that's not where I wanted to be. I did it to check the block because I needed that experience as I got promoted in the Air Force. But it was never anything coming out of the service that I wanted to go back and do. I had a bunch of my friends at one of these big conferences who said, Don, you're missing great paying opportunities. You should go talk to that company. I said, but I don't want that job. I won't be happy in that job. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter how much I'm earning. Mm-hmm. So I think the same thing at work. If you can figure out what your people, what their strengths are, mm-hmm. what they're really interested in, and how you can match them to the positions, I think you'll be, and they'll be more successful. You'll be more successful. The energy is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't always do that, but uh, you can try to do it as the best you can. Sometimes maybe you ask them, say, "Hey, I don't have that job for you right now, but if you could put this job for six months, I'll get you into that job. Then you got to be. Authentic, right? You got to be credible. Yeah. Right. You actually got to try to, to make, make that happen. Mm-hmm. But with that promise, people will do things to get to where they want to be. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but it goes back to again, knowing your people. I think there's a, there's a piece today in leadership where I have to treat everybody the same. We're, we're afraid of the lawyers, we're afraid of lawsuits,
0: mm-hmm. we're afraid of
2: favoritism, yeah. but every individual is different. Their mm-hmm. personality is different. There's the desires different. Their capabilities are different.
1: Yeah. So, if
2: we're not putting all that into perspective as we talk to them, we're going to miss the boat on leadership.
1: Yeah. No, you're absolutely right because it goes back to everybody ha- is coming from a different place, too. You Mm -hmm. might have similar qualities and skill sets, but at the same time, everybody, how they go about it is going to be different. And it's playing to those strengths of everybody because everybody has different strengths and different weaknesses, but what you're saying, it's really understanding your people and who's around you and getting to know them, having those conversations. I just had a conversation the other day about this, of understanding people might present in one way but you don't really know what's going on. They might be having a terrible like personal life or something traumatic has happened, but you have no idea and they're just, they're showing up, but how they're showing up, you have no idea what's behind all of that. That's just need- money my opinion and my experience as well, but I'm just, I'm curious too, because I know you worked with so many people and have helped so many people. Could you share a story of someone whose life you've helped transform by guiding them towards a filling career and life and how it impacted you personally?
2: Oh, you bet. You bet. I want to go back on one thing though, what you just (laughs) said though, about it could be something could be happening in their life. I remember a video on Facebook and this gentleman Mm -hmm. walks into a coffee shop and sitting on the table in front of him is this pair of glasses. And he looks around trying to figure out who might've left the pair of glasses, and he can't find anybody. So he picks up the glasses and he puts them on. And on top of each person is written, written, going through a divorce, you know, not earning enough money to cover bills, you know, child really sick. And he took them off and everything went away and he put them back on. And it gave him the ability to see all these problems. And it, it's really transparent to us when we walk into an office, what everybody's going through. But mm-hmm. again, it's that, how do you open up the conversation? And you, today, you, you have to be careful about how you ask the question, Yes, but you can ask the question and pay attention. Mm-hmm. I have a bunch of other stories I'll, I'll stay away from just for time, <laughs> but, but it's, it's looking into people's eyes and seeing how are they doing is the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Um, so the answer to your question had a gentleman named Aaron military 24 years, I think prior enlisted, getting out of the service, he was a weatherman. And he thought, I guess I'm gonna go back, post military career and be a weatherman, be a meteorologist. Mm -hmm. I said, I just kind of like what you said earlier about the energy, I said, Aaron, it doesn't sound like you're excited about that. And he goes, no, that's not a part that I really enjoy. So we spent, and this is the piece I love working with folks. What do you want to do next? So we went through and we talked about his skills, his passions, his interests. I said, but tell me a little bit about the jobs you love. And he goes, oh, that's easy. I got to be the head meteorologist on the oil spill horizon cleanup in the Gulf. And we were running all kinds of scenarios regarding the, uh, the cleanup and the emergency response and what it was going to impact and, and the waves and the tights. And So I was using all my experience, but it was more than just telling people the weather. It was for a bigger purpose. It was that cleanup. He says, I want to do that kind of thing. Yeah. So we spent a bunch of time working through what that could look like. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Just about him. He got an offer last October. He finally started, I think, in February this year as a GS-14 with the Department of Homeland Security in FEMA. Wow. Loving it. He's loving it. Oh. He was able to craft a job where he could be in San Antonio three, day, three weeks a month and in D.C. one week a month. So he's hit. He's at the personal piece. He's at the professional piece. He's at family. He's at all those different pieces. And that's what we put together. What do you want your life to look like? And what's the job that energizes you? Again, right? The job that energizes, life that fulfills. I thought that was a perfect uh, story that I'm getting a a testimony on.
1: That That is beautiful. And like, it's so interesting to what you're saying, the energy of like how he just transformed essentially when he started talking about what he truly wanted to do versus, okay, I'm going to go do this because I need a paycheck and everything mm-hmm. else and family and all of those factors. And I'm just curious, what role do you believe passion and fulfillment play in achieving success and making a positive impact in the world?
2: Ooh, I'm trying to think of the way that John Maxwell kind of says something like that. He says, you know, Passion, passion doesn't guarantee success, but lack of passion kind of ensures failure. Mm. And so I think it's, I think it's very strong. It's not, it's not the only thing you have to have, but I think it fuels everything. It brings everything else together. It helps you when you're facing that problem at home and you know, you got to get to work. Right. Mm. Um, you're excited. You're excited to get to work. You take on that task with a different energy than just "Oh, I'm going to do this task." No, I get to do this task. I can't wait to see how this comes out. Right? Mm-hmm. I got to uh, my second second military assignment, Cheyenne, Wyoming, Fu Warren Air Force Base. Mm-hmm. They wanted me to put together a uh, spill response plan, and it was going out and interviewing all the different shops around the base of how they're managing their hazardous waste and where's their fuel tanks and how are they putting things in tanks. tank. And I, I took off of that task and I loved it. And I ended up winning two strategic air command environmental engineer of the year awards, but it was that freedom to go out and tackle the task and make it my own. Yeah. And, I, and I came in with several challenges because one day I was, I was uh, out at, oh, so this is, this is uh, we called it Ronnie's rocket ranch. Cause this is, um, F.E. Warren, 200 missiles throughout Colorado, Nebraska, and, yeah. and, uh, and Wyoming, <clears throat> intercontinental ballistic missiles, ICBMs. So they would they were doing renovations at the sites. So they would go out, use chemicals, do cleanup, do various tasks, come back. And in the back of this one shop was about 85, 55-gallon drones. And they would put different chemicals in each one every day. Mm-hmm. And I just learned all about the compatibility, about, you know, chemicals through, through college and through my master's degree. And I was like, hey, this, isn't, this isn't the way we should be doing this. There was no labels on the drums. I said, guys, stop. And I went in and I talked to the commander. Well, he was a Colonel, I was a captain. So I'm at, I'm, I'm at five years of service. He's at 26 years of service. And I walked into his office and said, Houston, we have a problem. He said, I said, would you walk with me? And he said, sure. We walked outside and explained the problem. Well, it cost them $175,000. To sample all the drums and label them. This was just the sampling of to figure out what was yeah. in it, make sure that we knew how we could dispose of it, and then we set up procedures and worked that out. But uh, it was really exciting to, to figure out how we could work together, and uh, and I grew I grew in that assignment. So.
1: Oh. That's incredible. I mean, that's a lot of money for samples, but it's it so cool. <laughs> the experience you had as well. And I kind of want to go back to what you were talking about your first Earth Day when you were younger. Can you describe sure. the moment on the first Earth Day that inspired you to take action to clean America's waters? And how did it make you feel and motivate you to make a difference?
2: You know, I think I saw the potential of what could be. Mm-hmm. So this was <clears throat> This was a time when Lake Erie was dead. Mm. Right. Um, it had the it had the dead fish, it had the scum, it had the yellow foam, it had oil globules <clears throat> on the beaches. It was just basically nothing living in Lake Erie. Mm-hmm. And they showed us some places where they had had that situation and cleaned it up and how, how resilient Mother Nature is. But if we humans can assist Mother Nature, then it can happen faster. And now all the fish were thriving, the water the waterfowl was, was thriving. And You know, plants around it were thriving, which is, I just thought, which is interesting because now my wife and I are bird watchers and we love Mm -hmm. to go hiking in nature and and up hills and around streams and and seeing the beauty of the birds and the fish and everything else. So interesting how that just popped into me. That was 53 years ago, you know, the first Earth Day. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think it just inspired me of what, what a, it's like vision, right? It was what could be, Mm -hmm. we can help mother nature, we can get back to what it was designed for. And we need those fish. We need the, we need the whole ecosystem. Everything works together. It's like in your body, right? All right. the cells and all the fluids and, and everything it all works together. And if things are missing, it doesn't work right. Mm-hmm. We need those things. Just like I, I ended up working through college at the USDA Honeybee Research Lab mm-hmm. in Madison, Wisconsin, one of five in the country, <clears throat> and uh, really learned the... Um, economic impact of honeybees hmm. in a lot of our uh, agriculture. Um, some some areas cannot survive without the honeybee, but honeybees is, is un, under threat right now with the mites mm-hmm. and with pesticides. And if we if, and we've been saying this for decades and it's getting to a point where it's getting to be really serious. So uh, again, back to Earth day, back to the fish. this is just a different example. We've got to figure out how to live with the honeybee so it can help us because we need that food.
1: Absolutely. And it all works together, right? Like, I mean, this is not my strength or area or expertise, but just knowing how it does all come together, just like our mind Mm -hmm. and our body, it really does have an impact. What we tell Mm -hmm. ourselves, what we're doing, if we're energized or drained by the things we're doing, how that can manifest in different ways as well, if we're not taking care of it. That's right. I'm just curious too. How has your passion for cleaning America's waters evolved over the years? Are there any particular projects or incentives that you are particularly proud of?
2: Um, yeah, here's the bad part. <clears throat> so I, I got to do a lot of that in the 80s and early 90s. And and when I was at uh, headquarters, United States Air Forces in Europe, I got to be the the head environmental lead for mm. the for the command, and we did some really neat things, but since probably 2007, I have not really got to work in the environmental area. I think just a couple days with Booz Allen, I got to do it. And it was, I still think back to that was the most exciting part of my nine years with Booz Allen. I got to be the lead facilitator, Mm -hmm. bringing two contractors and the government together, figuring out the direction that we were going to go on a program. Mm
0: -hmm. And you
2: could see the difference. Uh, perspectives that were there, yeah. and of course the two contractors. Mine was one. We're fighting for more and more of the of the contract, right? To, to run yeah. it to get more money, yeah. but at the same time we needed to figure out how we could work together. What's the strengths of each organization? What's the timeline? What's the task? And we came out at the end of about a two day workshop <clears throat> with a clear plan: who's going to do what? And we started to manage that. Yeah. And uh, that was, was one of the the funnest things I did with Booze Allen. Now that was. 2013 or 2012, somewhere in there. So um, I think right now it's just, for me, the environmental piece is the respect of what's out that way. Um, And I think what it led me into is the whole leadership piece. Uh, I think sometimes I I just wish I could go back and be that environmental guy and create a now, create a blog and a following and create a, you know, be an influencer. And it's when I balance that against taking care of my military peers, it always falls to the bottom. Mm-hmm. I think that's the big thing I wanted to touch on, you know, as you talk about growing a business.
1: Yeah.
2: as is, is understanding. It's the passion, but mm-hmm. understanding what you really want to do and who you want to do it for. Right.
1: You know, mm-hmm.
2: if I, I remember being at a John Maxwell conference and I was trying to figure out how to do, who is, it, who is I going to do leadership training for? What do they need? Mm-hmm. And I was talking military versus civilian architect engineer firms. And I couldn't, I couldn't get into the architect engineer construction firm. I just it wasn't working. They didn't seem to need the training. And I kept coming back to the military in their transition. And I couldn't figure out how to monetize that and make a living out of that. So I said, God, I'm gonna turn that away. I'm gonna go back and keep trying on this. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden that wouldn't work. And he kept bringing this back up. And I and I went back and forth like four or five times. I finally was like, okay, I got it. I'm gonna <laughs> be working with military. Mm-hmm. And then the opportunity came forward for a partner and I to start a nonprofit helping military in transition using a mastermind. Mm. Mastermind is eight to ten people coming together on a you know, routine basis and helping each other, leveraging everybody's each other's knowledge and experience and thinking power. You know, the book Think and Grow Rich says when you have a mastermind, one plus one doesn't equal two; it might equal ten. Yeah, unlimited is the third mind,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: I think that just opened up the whole experience for me. Uh, uh, knowing what you want to do yeah. what's that passion and stuff that fuels you and then understanding your target market your target clients your avatar if you can use that word you know, who are they what do they need what's their problem yeah. so which goes back to that story i was telling you about the uh, being lost on the island it's right? the analogy yeah. connection <laughs> so we were in a speak off last night with 400 people and in my first round then i thought i nailed it i thought man i I was listening to everybody else. I thought, oh, I'm clearly going to the next round. I could have got mad, but I sat back and said, "Hmm, what did I do wrong? And I didn't have a personal story. I used facts. 22 veterans committing suicide a day. The number one ideation being transitioned. But it wasn't a personal story. They wanted a personal story. So now I started thinking back to being lost on the island, being frustrated, knowing where I needed to get, but I couldn't get there. Right. That's where. So now, on the side, I understand the client a little bit better
1: mm-hmm. in that
2: frustration. So.
1: Yeah, no. And it is that journey too. And just being able to realize the personal connection people can make when you hear a personal story versus Mm -hmm. the facts. But I love that you didn't allow it to get you upset or mad. You just, it was like, okay, well, what's the lesson here? How can I improve? What can I change or tweak? I'm looking back on your journey. What have you learned about the power of individual action and the importance of pursuing what truly inspires you?
2: Oh, wow. Well, it's all about action. <clears throat> John Maxwell in his newest book, I've got it sitting here somewhere, the uh, 16 Undeniable Laws of Communication. Mm-hmm. The 16th law is the law of action. He it says it's, it's, it's great to be standing in front of people and giving them information and helping them think of things, but if they don't take it and do something with it, it's kind of wasted.
1: Right.
2: <clears throat> you know, back to John's book, uh, Developing People, uh, Developing the Leader Within You 2.0 gets into time management and they call it the Eisenhower Matrix or the Covey's Four Quadrants, different words, but it's what's urgent and important and not urgent, not important. And if you can't work through that and figure out what truly is important, take action on it to move it forward, Mm -hmm. you're not going to be successful. Your team's not going to be successful. Mm -hmm. I think a perfect example of that is the survey now, a number of surveys have done it over the last five, six years. 85% 85% of people at work are disengaged, actively disengaged or just passively disengaged. Mm-hmm. But they're not doing the best they can. They're, they're meeting requirements. They're doing what they're told. Mm-hmm. Um, they've estimated that's a $1 trillion economic impact around the world. Yeah. $1 trillion. So think if we could change 10% of that. Massive. That's $100 billion of economic impact just with 10%. So I think if we can get people energized in the job they're working to take the action, to step forward, mm-hmm. we all become, the world becomes, the economy becomes much better. I think the environmental situation, whatever it could be, mm-hmm. starts becoming much better.
1: Yeah, no, that, that makes so much sense. and. You know, when you put numbers to it, it just really allows that to be very clear. And I'm just curious, what have been me what's been one obstacle you've had to overcome in building your business the last few years?
2: I think the biggest one is what I talked about already, which is the the target market.
1: right mm-hmm. if you don't
2: if you don't understand your target market, I was with the business networking International and they kept saying, if you don't know your target market, if you're trying to market to everybody, you're marketing to nobody. I, it's like, well, that doesn't make sense to me. If I'm putting a message out, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, tar- I'm marketing to everybody, but it doesn't resonate. Mm-hmm. So it was it brought to me when I was talking to somebody about uh, a possible referral. I walked up and I said, hey, do you happen to know anybody who might need leadership? Training? Mm-hmm. No. I said, well, let's, let's just think about your, who you work with. So what kind of companies are you working with? Oh, I'm working with X and Y engineering companies. Oh, tell me a little bit about that. Oh, you know what? They, uh, they're really kind of frustrating. So, so what's frustrating about them? Well, they don't really seem to have a leader that really knows what they want to do. They don't communicate. I said, so do you think they could use some leadership training? Yeah, I think they could. That's a good point. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Hell, <laughs> I brought it to his awareness. Right. He wasn't thinking. He wasn't making the connection. And I think that's the same thing. If you have a marketing message that doesn't connect with somebody, it falls, falls flat. Mm-hmm. Again, John Maxwell's news book. <clears throat> I'm, I'm doing a presentation on this in two weeks, the 16 undeniable laws of communication. His number one thing is you've got to connect with your audience. Mm-hmm. It's not just about giving information. Right. It's figuring about what they want to hear, what they're ready to hear. Yeah. And then trying to connect with them so they it actually is coming into in their style, right? Communicate in their style so they understand the connection and can, can move forward. So I think I think uh, I think that's everything. It's uh, yeah. If you, if we're not connecting if we're not getting personal action we're not going to make a difference.
1: No, we're not. And just yeah. even with the differences that you're making, what have been some of the tools that you've used in building your business? What like when it comes to tech, apps, anything that have been really helpful? Now, the two
2: uh, two biggest I'd say <laughs> one is one is Zoom
0: because
2: mm-hmm. we we started that nonprofit the week the government shut down for yeah. for covid. So we had to have a means, and it was all designed to be virtual. In one, in any one mastermind, we could have people from Japan to Germany, all across the states, and it gave us a, all services, all ranks. It gave us a huge diversity, which was excellent. But I think Zoom, understanding that was fantastic. But from there, <clears throat> being able to track everybody um, and their communication with them and their connection. So a, a CRM, a customer relationship management database, that becomes a, such a simple thing. You could do a spreadsheet, mm-hmm. but having a way for it to send you messages and say, okay, you contacted this guy five days ago. It's time to connect with him again versus having to go through the spreadsheet. Yeah. <clears throat> so use the power of automation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's been the biggest thing.
1: Mm, that's definitely helpful. makes a big difference. And I would love to know just one of your top tips for entrepreneurs listening that have been really beneficial for you.
2: Um, I'm going to go back to the book I read a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. It's the blue cover. I haven't read any of the other colors, but it's the blue Mm -hmm. colored cover. And uh, and he goes into the back and he says, the first thing you need to figure out is what do you want in your life? Mm -hmm. Most people jump to step two, which is how does the business fit into your life? Mm -hmm. If you don't know what your life is going to look like, you Mm -hmm. can't figure out how the business is going to fit into it. Mm -hmm. So right now, my, life, my wife and I like to travel. We like to bird watch. We want to travel, see the grandkids. So I want a job where I can do it hybrid. I'll, I'll go into offices and do leadership training, but I want to be on the road and I can stop and do something like this, right? I can be in a travel trailer. I can go into Starbucks. I can do a podcast interview. I can do a coaching call. I can work with a client remotely. So that's the life I wanted. Now, how does the business fit into that life? And I don't think too many people, I don't think we think about it enough. Let me just say it that way. Yeah. I don't think we think about that enough. We just say, well, I'll do whatever it takes for the job. And then we pretty much start working 12, 15-hour days, weekends. We, you know, we never see the spouse. Spouse goes and finds other interests. We, get, we separate from them. They may get divorced. You're separated from the kids because you're they're not, they're not at their events. And because you didn't figure out what your life was going to look like, the job doesn't fit into it It clashes, which goes back again to my mantra. right, A job yeah. that energizes you. And the life that fulfills you.
1: Love it, and I so appreciate you coming on, Don, to just share your journey with us. But where can people find you, your services? We're going to link everything below. But if you could let us know too.
2: Yeah, what I love to do is, if, if you're uh, thinking about a career transition, you want to explore that, send me an email to my uh, my email address, don.gleason at achievenewheights.com. Right, achieving new heights in your energy, in your business, in your personal life. Achievenewheights.com
1: Well, thank you so much, Don, for coming on, just sharing all your wisdom with us and definitely some good books for people to get to. (laughs) Definitely appreciate that. But make sure to like, subscribe, comment below. What was the biggest takeaway from Don today? I'm sure he would love to see that comment and we will see you on the next episode.
0: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping.